بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so this is our second lesson on the tremendous hadith of abi dhar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and this is the hadith qudsi in which the messenger of allah sallam he relates from his lord a lengthy hadith a lengthy statement at the beginning of which is a prohibition against zulm oppression ya ibadi inni haramtu zulma ala nafsi wa ja'altuhu baynakum muharrama fala tadhalamu oh my servants indeed i have made oppression unlawful upon myself and i have made it unlawful amongst you or between you so do not oppress one another to the and, and we mentioned that the hadith actually has 10 statements or 10 sections all together and we read through them all in the previous lesson so in the first lesson we looked at the issue of zulm of oppression what is zulm what is oppression and that it that that zulm is one of the uh great crimes which a person can commit why because allah zawajal has uh is al-adl he is just his creation is created and founded upon al-adl and the greatest of that is tawhid and to commit oppression is from the greatest of sins and greatest of crimes allah zawajal has declared it unlawful upon himself and so he declared it also unlawful upon his servants and zulm can take many forms many many manifestations and so the sheikh in his explanation of this first part of the hadith he said or he discussed the various types of zulm and zulm can be of three types the first is zulm a type of zulm which is not forgiven and this is obviously shirk it is the greatest zulm and it is that you enjoy the favors and the bounties of allah zawajal of life of food of drink the various uh, pleasures and so on and so forth which are which are innumerable and then you either ascribe them to other than allah or you show gratefulness to other than allah for those favors and so you worship other than him or you worship him and you worship others alongside him all of this is zulm which opposes adl adl is to put everything into its proper place and so the first type that the sheikh discussed was the zulm which is not forgiven the zulm which is not forgiven and that is shirk with allah azza wa jal the sheikh spoke 
about a number of things specifically uh, which are from the affairs of worship, from them love, al-mahabba, and likewise from them al-isti'ana and tawakkul, and the connection between all of these things and how they make a person, uh, how, how, how they are essential aspects of worshipping Allah alone. At the end of that, the Shaykh then went on to briefly speak about the three aspects of Tawheed, Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, Tawheed al-Asma'i wa-Sifat, and Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. So that concluded our discussion of the first type of dhulm. Today we begin on the second type of dhulm. And so the Shaykh says, وَالنَّوْعُ الثَّانِ مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الظُّلْمِ الظُّلْمُ فِي مَا بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ مِنَ الْمَعَاسِ غَيْرِ الشِّرْكِ the second type from the types of dhulm is the dhulm which is between you and between Allah. From the various sins which are below the level of shirk. And this is because Allah has textually stated in his book that he does not, that he does not forgive shirk. But he forgives whatever is less than it of sins. Whether they are major sins, the kabair, or whether they are the minor sins, the sagair. And he forgives whomever he wills. And a person therefore, in relation to these types of sins, the first type of sin, the major dhulm, then that person is a disbeliever outside the fold of Islam. There is no forgiveness for that person. But as for what is less than shirk, there are person now, he is under the will of Allah. He's under the mashia. And if Allah wills, he will punish him. And if Allah wills, he will forgive him. And if, if they are punished, then it is because they are deserving of punishment. So therefore, the, the verse that we looked at regarding the issue of shirk, in that verse that occurs, He forgives for what is less than that, meaning shirk, to whomsoever he wills. So this point now, is one of the fundamental points of belief of Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah, of the Salaf, of the Sahaba, of the people of Hadith. It is one of their distinguishing hallmarks. That they believe that the people of major sin, those who fall into lying, stealing, gambling, drinking, dhulm, oppressing, taking the rights of other people in their wealth, in their honor, in, in, in their bodies, in terms of harming them, and so on and so forth, that these people are under what we say, they are under the will of Allah Azza wa If He wills, He will forgive them. If He wills, He will punish them. And this distingu distinguishes us from two groups of people. The first are the Khawarij, and the second are the Murji'ah. And they are in opposite extremes in relation to this particular subject, which is, the faith of a sinful believer. The faith of a sinful believer. And so what they do, each of these groups, first of all the khawarij, they say that a person who commits a major sin, then he has lost all of his iman, he can never be a believer. And they expel him from the fold of Islam. And this is on account of any, any, any type of major sin. And some of them even on account of a minor sin. A minor sin. 
Amongst them are a group called the Najadat. And they are the followers of uh, Najda bin Amir. And they basically said that any person who commits a minor sin, a minor sin, not a major sin, he commits a minor sin, and then he continues and persists upon that minor sin, and he doesn't make toba from it, doesn't withhold from it, but he persists, then this person is a disbeliever. Why? Because they made the issue one of persistence. And they said, the one who commits a major sin, but he does not persist in the major sin, then he's not a disbeliever. So basically, their misguidance, and amongst the khawarij, there are different types of khawarij. They are not all the same. And it is not correct to say that it is a condition to be a khariji from the khawarij, that you have to make takfir by way of sin. Because this wasn't always the case. The very first khawarij, the only issue with them was the issue of rulership and ruling by what Allah revealed. That was their primary issue. And this is why this is what determines a khariji. Right? Because this is a central thing that they focus around, the sinful rulers, the oppressive rulers, the issue of hukum and tahkim and so on and so forth. So they say either the rulers are disbelievers or they are mushriks, you know, because they give others a share in Allah's hukum, right? But then the issue of sin committing sin, major or minor, these developed shortly afterwards. And so from them were those who said, whoever commits a major sin is a disbeliever. From them were those who said, only the, only the one who persists in sin is a disbeliever. From them were those who said, uh, uh, the, the one who persists, whether it is major or minor, he, you know, he falls into um, you know, uh, major disbelief and he loses all of his faith. He can never ever be a Muslim. And he will be punished in the hereafter. So this is the khawarij on the one side. And on the other side, the other extreme, they are the murji'a. And they say that any person who declares the shahada, who says la ilaha illallah, and he will automatically enter paradise. The fire will never ever touch him. So... They basically are saying that the sins of a Muslim will not harm him. So long as he is declaring the shahada. He can drink, he can fornicate, he can steal, he can cheat, he can lie, he can rob. And all of this will not harm his iman. Because iman to them is something that is just really internal in the heart. It is, that's all it is. And it cannot be affected by, by anything else. So therefore they said a Muslim, a believer can never enter the hellfire. And the Khawarij said, a sinful believer will never leave the hellfire. And both of these are wrong. They are, they are false. And when we as people of the Sunnah, when we say that the sinful believer is under the will of Allah, then we automatically, we refute both groups. When we say that the sinful believer is under the Mashia of Allah Azawajal. And this is why it's important that when, you, when we read the books of the Salaf and they make these small statements and they say, for example, that uh, a sinful believer, that he's under the, the Mashiach of Allah, he's under the Mashiach of Allah, right? These words, they are significant words. The Salaf said them knowing the falsehood that they were refuting. 
And so when we as people of the Sunnah, when we repeat this and when we say this and when we read it in the books of creed of the Salaf, that the sinful believer is deficient and in Iman, is naqisul Iman, and he's under the Mashiach, he's under the will of Allah Azawajal. This means, first of all, it's a refutation of the Khawarij. Because these people can be forgiven and Allah will take them out of the hellfire. That's if he decides to punish them because they are under his will. He'll decide whether to punish them or not. And so on the one hand, it's a refutation of the Khawarij. And on the other hand, it is a refutation of the Murjiyah. Why? Because the sinful believer can be punished. He will be punished. Allah will put him in the hellfire and then take him out after his sins have been expiated. So uh, all of these two, the Sheikh says, this is misguidance on both sides. And so when people start believing this misguidance, then what happens is they go to the Quran and they start following the mutashabihat. They start following the ambiguous passages. So for example, the Khawarij will go to the Quran and everywhere where there is a threat against a sin, when a person is threatened for a sin in the Quran, then they will take those verses and say, look, this now is proof that the person who commits a major sin is a disbeliever. Why? Because Allah has made a threat. And Allah never ever, just like he never breaks a promise, then he will never hold back on a threat. Right? Then they will go to those verses in the Quran and they follow the mutashabihat, they follow the ambiguous passages. And they leave that which is clear and explicit, in which Allah Azawajal, he says he forgives whomever he wills. And the one who, you know, in, in the Quran, uh, when he speaks about uh, killing someone or committing fornication, and then he mentions Tawbah thereafter, the one who makes Tawbah. That Allah will turn that, forgive that person and turn that person's evil deeds into good deeds. So they leave those verses which are very clear and explicit, and they come to these verses of threats. And likewise the Murji'ah, they go to the verses of promise, in which Allah promises the believers paradise and forgiveness, and so on and so forth, and they neglect the verses of the wa'id, of the, of the threat. So this is how the people of Bid'ah, when they fall into a Bid'ah, then they go to the Qur'an trying to justify that Bid'ah, and therefore they will take part of the book and leave part of the book, and they will take that which is ambiguous, and leave that which is muhkam, that which is clear and apparent, and this is how the people of desires, they behave with the texts. So the Shaykh goes on to explain this, and uh, he mentions the ayah in Surah Ali Imran, هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ مِنْهُ آيَاتٌ مُحْكَمَاتٌ هُنَّ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ وَأُخَرَ مُتَشَابِهَاتٌ He is the one who revealed upon you the book, and from it are verses which are muhkam, they are very clear and apparent, and they form the mother of the book, the essence of the book. And there are others which are from the ambiguous verses. As for those in whose hearts there is a disease, they follow that which is ambiguous thereof, seeking tribulation and seeking its interpretation. And none knows its interpretation except Allah and those who are rooted in knowledge. And they say, we believe in it, all of it is from our Lord. And none but the people of intelligence take an admonition. Surah Ali Imran, verse number 8. And the Messenger of Allah, when, when this verse, he, he, he provided further clarification about this verse. 
and he said to Aisha, Ummul Mu'mineen, radiallahu anha, he said, when he recited this verse, and he said, فَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ فَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمُ الَّذِينَ يَتَّبِعُونَ مَا تَشَابَهَ مِنْهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ سَمَّ اللَّهُ سَمَّ اللَّهُ فَحْضَرُوهُمْ when you see a people or those people who follow that which is ambiguous, they are the ones whom Allah has named. Meaning in this ayah. So beware of them. So the shaykh now, he explains that this ayah, this verse, and this hadith is a clear warning from the people of Zayg, the people in whose hearts they desire misguidance, they want misguidance. And the people who follow their desires, and from the main groups of them are the Khawarij, are the Mu'tazila, are the Murji'a, are the Qadariya, and the Sufiya. And all of these groups are present. These are not groups which happened in history after the Sahaba, and then you know they passed away and they died away. All of these groups, all of these orientations are present. The only difference is today that we don't have these names. No one comes along and says, I'm from the Qadariya, I'm from the Murji'a. I'm from the, you know, I'm from the uh, Khawarij. I'm from the Mu'tazila. No one says this. Very few people say this. But all of these orientations are present. You have the Mu'tazila. They today are the modernists. They want to revive the uh, belief of the, the approach of the Mu'tazila. Right? They are present today now. They are, they are present in the Arab lands and they are present in the, the Western lands in Canada and other places, modernists, they want, they are unhappy that Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, that he defeated the Mu'tazila. They are, they are grieving and they are angry that the Mu'tazila were, you know, uh, uh, withheld and were, were demolished. And they didn't maintain control of the Muslim nation because they believe that heritage. And why is this? Because that heritage actually came from the Greeks. And Western civilization is built upon Greek philosophy and Greek, you know, Greek uh, philosophy about politics and things like that. So they see in the Mu'tazila, within the Muslim nation, that same heritage being carried. So there are people present today who are pushing the idea and the, 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 the way of the Mu'tazila, the approach to the Qur'an, the approach to the Sunnah, rejecting the Ahadith. So this group is present. Likewise, you have the Khawarij. The Khawarij are present. They will always be present because the Messenger of Allah he said, they will never cease to appear until the last of them, Dajjal, appears in their midst. They will always be present. They will always be present. And likewise, you see the Sufiya are present and you have the Qadariya are present today as well. Not in large numbers, but there are people who are promoting beliefs which are similar to the very first Qadriya, those who deny the ilm of Allah Because the Qadriya are of two types. The first type which appeared in Iraq, they said, Allah does not know of things until after they appear. So he doesn't know, for example, that a particular person is going to sin at such and such a time, in such and such a way. He only knows it after it occurs. This was the first group of Qadriya which appeared in Iraq. And the scholar said that these are disbelievers. Because to deny the ilm of Allah, the knowledge of Allah Azawajal, the all-encompassing knowledge of Allah Azawajal, this now is disbelief. As for the Qadriya which came afterwards, 
the Mu'tazila who took that belief, they basically, they, they, they just simply said, well, Allah, the man creates his own actions. They didn't deny the ilm of Allah Azawajal. They just said, man is outside of Allah's creative power. He creates his own actions, right? So there are people present today who are upon that belief. The Shia are Mu'tazila. The Shia are upon, are upon I'tizal. And so we can, the Murji'a, they are, they are the Ash'aris, they are the Maturidis, they are upon this belief, right? So the point being, all of these people are present and they follow the Mutashabihad. So the Shaykh is saying here that this is a clear warning from Allah Azawajal with respect to these types of people. Then he goes on to mention the hadith which has been related, which prohibits from the people of innovation. And this is the famous hadith in which the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He said In which the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He said إِنَّمَا مَثَلُ الْجَلِيسِ الصَّالِحِ وَجَلِيسِ السُّوءِ حَامِلِ الْمِسْكِ وَنَافِخِ الْكَيْرِ Indeed, the similitude of the righteous company and the evil company is like the musk seller, the one who carries musk to sell and the blacksmith, the one who blows the bellows and, you know, uh, works with molten steel and things like that. So he says, for Hamilul Misk, as for the carry of the misk, the, the musk, either he will give to you as a gift, some perfume, or you will buy from him, or the fragrance will just come and, you know, it will, you, will, you will benefit from it and it will... You know, you'll find a, a good, pleasant fragrance. And as for the blacksmith, then either he will burn your thobe, he will burn your clothing, or you'll find a vile uh, stench or a smell from him. So, this is the real, reality of company. And the Sheikh says, the righteous company will always benefit you. You will always find with such a person benefit. But as for the one who is misguided, and the misguided one, the similitude of misguidance here is the, is the blacksmith. As for the one who is misguided, then that person obviously has to be of three types. Either it is the disbeliever, right? So he's either a disbeliever, or he is from the people of innovation and misguidance within Islam, or he is from the people of sin, right? So these are the three types of misguidance. Either it is a mushrik or a kafir, or it is... One who is astray, misguided, or it is a fasiq, fajir, someone who is sinful, right? So either of these three people, these people are evil company and they will harm you. They will not benefit you and you will never come out safe from their company. Unless the sheikh says, and he gives one exception, unless you are a person who has more knowledge than them, Right? So you have an atheist or you have a Jew or a Christian from those who are not Muslims. You have more knowledge than them. You are knowledgeable of what they are upon of Batil. And you are more knowledgeable than them. And you are able to affect them. You are able to convince them. You are able to establish the proof against them. Right? And if you are a person of knowledge and fiqh and da'wah, right, you, you possess these qualities, then present your da'wah to them. Present it to them, explain it to them. And likewise, and the same thing will obviously apply to.
to the mubtadid, to the one who is astray and misguided from the various groups. And likewise to the sinful person, the person who's just a sinner, right? He's not misguided, but he's following his lusts and desires. He's, he has a sin that he can't let go of. Maybe he drinks, maybe he does something else, maybe whatever else. Each of these people, you have the, uh, you know, you have a, you have, you have a position which, by which you can influence them. So, do so on the minbar of the masjid, on the pulpit of the masjid if you are able. Do so in the lessons. Do so in the papers if you are able. Do so in writing in the book. Do so by way of lectures in a cassette. The Shaykh is saying, all of the ways of da'wah which we have been tasked with in order to convey the message to the people. Whether they are Muslims or whether they are not Muslims, then use all of those ways and means. If you are one of those people. If you are one of those people. And so the Shaykh says, this is what we do. We use all of the legislated ways and means in order to convey the truth. But if... If you want to sit with them and you want to, and you want to uh, accompany them and you want to flatter them and you, want to, you know, and you say that you want to benefit from them, then no. This is not permissible now. Because the Sheikh says the issue of benefiting from them actually has some detail to it. Right? So he will now go on to mention the detail. And he says that... If this person is a person of misguidance, we're speaking about Muslims now, and this person is a person of misguidance, is a mubtadeh, but he is someone who's just completely silent and totally quiet, and he doesn't promote his innovation, and, you know, uh, it's like you don't see any sparks coming from him. There's no sparks which come from him, which means... Which means that, which means that this person, this innovator, who is saqit, he's quiet. He says absolutely nothing. He doesn't reveal his innovation. He doesn't push his innovation, right? And so, as a similitude, there are no sparks coming from him, right? So you won't be affected by the sparks. The sheikh is saying that you know that this person is not going to spread harm. He says. If that person is like this, and you have a need of that knowledge, you are in need of that specific knowledge, which will benefit you and it will not harm you, then fastafid binhu. This is the view of the shaykh. Then benefit from him. And take from him that knowledge, alongside explaining his condition to other people, and explaining the fact that he has with him innovations. Even though he is circuit, he's not a caller to his innovation. He's not calling to it at all. And the point being, so this is the tafsir that the Sheikh has given. This is his, uh, the view that he sees. And there are other scholars like Sheikh ibn Thaymeen, who say, absolutely do not take any knowledge from a mubtadeh in anything. Not the Quran, not you know, the Arabic language, not in anything. And but obviously there's tafsil in this issue and there's a time and a place for everything. It could be in a certain place, in a certain situation. Maybe there's a type of knowledge which is not found with the Ahlul Sunnah. Ahl Sunnah. And Ahlul Sunnah need that knowledge. 
So maybe a person who is an alim qualified and knows, and he will go and acquire that knowledge. So basically the issue, the tafsir to this issue, and there are various scenarios, and hence you see these different viewpoints from the, from the people of knowledge. In any point, the discussion here then is about dhulm, which is committing a sin. So after shirk, we have dhulm, which is between, that is between you and your Lord, and that can be of two types. Either it is misguidance, al-dalala, in terms of you know, bid'ah and things like this, or it is following the lusts and the desires. So either it is shubuhat, doubt and misconceptions, that type of misguidance, or it is shahawat, it is following lusts and desires. Right? So both of these things enter into the dhulm that is between you and Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? So the Shaykh is saying that this type of dhulm is something that Allah will forgive. If He wills, He will forgive it, and if He wills, He will punish a person for it. And it is from our belief that Allah will take people of Tawheed outside of the hellfire. And Allah will take those people after they've been punished and take them out of hellfire. And this is opposed to the belief of the Murji'ah and likewise the belief of the Khawarij as we said. Because there are people who will enter the fire and be punished and there are people who will be taken out of the fire and they won't remain therein for eternity, as is said by the Khawarij. So the Shaykh then goes on to continue to explain, to elaborate upon this issue. He then speaks about the issue of the Shafa'ah, the intercession that will take place on Yawmul Qiyamah. This is one of our greatest proofs. If you want to know a proof against the Khawarij and the Murji'ah in the Quran and the Sunnah, then it is the proof of Shafa'ah. In the Quran, Allah affirms a type of Shafa'ah which has conditions that it is with his permission, and it is for those with whom he is pleased, right? So therefore there is a shafa'ah. In the sunnah, we see an elaboration of that, that there are people who will enter the hellfire because of their sins. And then after the great shafa'ah of the Messenger of Allah then the angels will intercede, the prophets will intercede, the righteous people will intercede, and there will be people who were destined for hellfire, they won't enter it. There will be people who will go into the hellfire. They'll be taken out of it. And then there'll be people with different levels of iman. As the Shaykh goes on to explain, there will be people with a barley seed, people with you know, a different type of seed, a smaller seed, then even smaller than that. And then whoever has a speck of iman, he will eventually be taken out. Right. So these texts in the Quran that speak about the shafa'ah, and the text in the hadith that speak about the shifa'ah, these are our proof, this is our proof against the khawarij and against the murji'ah. And they are very, very clear proofs in the Qur'an and the sunnah. So the shaykh goes on to explain that all of this, when we speak about this, all of this indicates the bounty of Allah, His generosity, His mercy, His kindness, and all of this is from the excellences of Tawheed. The fact that a person of Tawheed, even if he's a sinner, he will not remain in hellfire forever. Tawheed will save that person. And if a person, his Tawheed is kamil, it is complete, right? Then this person will enter paradise. He will not be punished. He will enter paradise to begin with. And he will not be punished. 
So a person whose good deeds, they weigh more than his evil deeds, then this person will enter paradise without being punished. And the Messenger of Allah, he described some of the qualities of those people. He said about those people, that the first group of people, فَتَنْجُوا أَوَّلُ زُمْرَةٍ وُجُوهُهُمْ كَالْقَمَرِ لَيْلَةَ الْبَدَرِ سَبْعُونَ عَلْفًا لَا يُحَاسَبُونَ That there will be the first group of people who will be saved. They will pass over the bridge. And their faces will be like the moon, like the brightness of a moon on a clear night. That's how bright their faces will be. They will be 70,000 in number. And they will not be held to account. Allah will not call them to account. Then after them will come a people and their faces will be just like the normal stars that you see, the normal regular stars. They will have some brightness and then there will become those who will come after them. So the point being that these different types of people that the Messenger has mentioned, they will pass over the bridge very quickly. Why? Because they weren't from the people of Dhulm. They weren't from the people of Bid'ah and Dalala, nor were they from the people of Fisq and Fujur and, and Isyan and disobedience. They weren't from these people. So they will pass swiftly and very quickly. None of them will fall. But as for the people of sin, they will start falling. They will start falling. And just like the Kuffar, the disbelievers will fall. But those who are from the people of Tawheed, then Allah Azawajal, he will punish them to the extent of their sins. And then he will forgive them and they will definitely come out of the hellfire. Why? Because they died upon Tawheed and the excellence of Tawheed is tremendous. This is the virtue of Tawheed. It will save a person even if he was from the most sinful of people. If he died not worshipping other than Allah, not ascribing what is due to Allah to other than Allah, Right? This person will be saved from the hellfire. So the Shaykh now goes on to mention an extremely important point, which is, why are we mentioning this? We are mentioning this not to belittle sin and to encourage people to commit sin. Because a person might think, well, if I die upon Tawheed, then I will eventually go to paradise. So he will take sin easily. He will fall into dhulm. He will wrong himself. He will wrong other people. He will commit sins. The Shaykh says this is not the intent behind the likes of these texts. These texts which mention the excellence of Tawheed are not to encourage you to be sinful and to take this matter lightly. Rather they are to explain the tremendous excellence of Tawheed itself. The virtue of Tawheed itself. And the fact that there is a tremendous reward for this Tawheed. And the Shaykh goes on to say, on the other hand, we have other hadiths which speak about the danger of sin. So some hadiths speak about the greatness of Tawheed. These, these texts do not encourage you to commit sin. They are speaking about the virtue of Tawheed. And then there are other texts which speak about the, the destruction which is caused by sin. So from these hadiths, for example, the, from those hadiths, the text, al-mubiqat, the seven sins which destroy, which we find in the hadith of the messenger of Allah, reported by Abu Huraira, who said, 
Ijtanibu, who said that the Messenger of Allah said, Ijtanibu al Beware of the seven destructive sins. And so the companion said, What are they, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, Number one, Ashirku Billah. Ashirku Billah. To worship others alongside Allah. This shirk is the foundation of the corruption of the world. This is how nations are corrupted in everything. It starts with the issue of shirk. And then eventually it moves on to other things and it leads on to the violation of rights. So it corrupts the whole society. Then he said, Wasihah, magic. Magic is another type of corruption of the society. It is a collaboration between the jinn and men. Those who have filth in their hearts from the men, they use the jinn for harming other people, for committing dhulm and harming other people and oppressing other people, right? Right? To fulfill jealousies and lusts and things like this. This is sihr. It causes corruption in society. These are, these are tremendous evils. Then he went on to say, after that, killing a soul which Allah has made unlawful, which is murder. To murder someone, to kill someone, this is corruption, this is harm. وَأَكْلُ riba, To consume interest, this is corruption, this is harm. This is, this is a, a, destru- a, a destructive sin. And likewise, consuming the wealth of the orphan, to embezzle the wealth that you've been entrusted with, which belongs to an orphan, and you've been entrusted with and you embezzle that wealth, you, you, you spend of it, you take from it. This is, trem- this is a mighty sin, likewise. And also, at-tawalli, yawm al-zahaf, to flee on your heels when the two arm, when the, when the, uh, on the battlefield. When a battle breaks out and you flee, you run off from the fighting. This is a mighty sin as well. And also, waqadful muhsanat al-mu'minat al-ghafilat. To falsely accuse innocent women, pious, chaste, innocent women, to accuse them of things that they are free and innocent of. To accuse them of adultery or fornication or things of that nature. This is a tremendous evil. So there are sins which a person commits, they will bring him tremendous punishment on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And not only these seven, in fact, we see that some of the companions, uh, Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah, he said, Hiya ila sab'een, aqrabu minha ila sab'a. So he said the major sins, they are closer to 70 than to 7. Right? So this hadith is just illustrating some examples of the, of the major sins. And major sins, the scholars, they define them as anything for which Allah has specified a punishment, anything for which Allah has specified that his anger falls upon that sin, anything for which there is a had, a prescribed uh, you know, punishment, anything for which Allah has invoked his curse upon that person. When he says Allah's curse is upon the one who does such and such, right? These are some of the principles by which the scholars say that uh, an action is known to be a major sin when it falls into these, you know, categories. A specific punishment has been threatened for it, or there is a had, a prescribed punishment in the life of this world. Or Allah's curse is upon that person. Or Allah's anger is invoked upon that person. All of this indicates what is a major sin. So uh, the Shaykh is saying from all of this, then after all of this lengthy uh, discussion, he says that in light of this, we have to beware of the major sins. 
and we have to beware of the minor sins. And when we read the Quran, when we read the Sunnah, we see there are many texts <coughs> of Al-Wa'ad, which, which, which have the promise that Allah promises paradise, Allah promises forgiveness, Allah promises His mercy. And likewise, the excellence of Tawheed. When you read the Quran, you'll find Allah is always mentioning His mercy and forgiveness. But this, the meaning of this, does not mean that we now are, are, are bold towards sin. And we are bold towards his disobedience. And we become bold in oppressing other people. And bold in telling lies. This is not the intent. Rather the Shaykh says, The intent is to explain the excellence of Tawheed so that the servants turn to the deen of Allah. And they enter into the Tawheed of Allah. And they worship him alone. And they don't associate any partners with him at all. So all of this discussion, the Shaykh concludes here by saying that this then is the second type of dhulm, which is prohibited. The first type of dhulm is to, to worship other than Allah, to commit shirk. The second type of dhulm now is to either follow the shubuhat, the misconceptions, and to deviate from the straight path by following the paths of the khawarij, the murji'a, the mu'tazila, the Qadariya, the Sufiya, the Ikhwan, Tabligh, and all those people, the Sufiya, all of this is a misguidance. And likewise, to fall into sin, to follow lusts and desires, the shahawat, all of this is dhulm, comes into dhulm. And so within this, we are careful of our company, we don't take sin lightly, and you know we enter into the Tawheed of Allah, and obey Him and don't disobey Him. This now brings us to the third and final type of dhulm, uh, which comes under this, and the Sheikh says, uh, He says, As for the third type of dhulm, then this relates to the oppression of the servants amongst each other, between them. The Sheikh says, This is a type of sin, and this is a type of dhulm that will never ever, it, it, you, can't, you cannot escape from it right you will not get away with it basically this type of <coughs> sin is something in which al-adal wal-insaf will definitely take place which is justice justice will definitely take place you will never escape from this type of sin and this type of sin so for example the sheikh says if you were to cheat if you were to harm a person even if it was like the twig that a person uses for a miswak. A measly little twig from a tree that's used for a miswak, which is 10 pence, 20 pence, whatever else it is. You wrong someone for that amount, there will be justice on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. There will be justice. You will not get away with dhulm. And he says, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْخُذُهُ مِنْكَ Allah will take that from you. Meaning he will bring you to justice for that measly little twig by which you just brush your teeth. You will be, you will be called to account. He will take you for it. And he says likewise the believers even though they will pass over the bridge there will be a stage at which there will be a crevice. They will stop and that is those people who haven't already fallen into the hellfire that is. And all the wrongs that took place between them, 
they will not move any further forward until vengeance and justice has been extracted for those wrongs and for, for those injustice between each other. And so the Sheikh says that they will, that they will be held in a qantara, like in a, in, a, in a place between paradise and hellfire. And every mazloom, everyone who is wronged, he will take his right from the zalim. And until a person who is wronged, his sins will be gone. He will be expiated from his sins. Why? Because other people wronged him and he, you know, he's able to throw their sins upon, either take their good deeds or his sins then are thrown upon them if they have no good deeds left. Only then, once justice has been done between all people and vengeance and justice has been extracted, only then will the people enter into paradise. And this is why, وَلَقَدْ حَذَّرَ النَّبِيُّ مِنَ الظُّلْمِ أَشَدُّ التَّحْذِيرِ That the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he warned from dhulm in the most severe manner. He said, for example, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالظُّلْمِ فَإِنَّ الظُّلْمَ ظُلُمَاتٌ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ An authentic hadith. And he says, beware of oppression, for indeed oppression will be layers of darkness on يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ and he also said in another authentic hadith, in a severe hadith, he is basically threatening the zalim with with severe vengeance, with you know exacting vengeance. He said, "Inna Allaha la yumli lil-zalim hatta ida akhdahu lam yuflithu." This hadith means, indeed, Allah, He will continue bearing, like basically. Um, a person commits dhulm, he'll continue to um, give that person respite. He'll continue to overlook it. Right? He'll allow, allow him to continue doing what he's doing. But when the time comes to extract justice and vengeance, he will never let him escape. He will not let him escape. Right? So it means that if you fall into dhulm, if you fall into dhulm, it could be the case that Allah is going to allow you, is going to, you're going to continue, you're going to continue, you're going to continue, and Allah is watching over you, and He will allow you to go in that path until there will come a point when vengeance will be extracted, and you will not then be able to escape from that point. This is the nature of dhulm, the people who fall into dhulm, this is their reality. So dhulm, oppression, is azim. Wa azim, it is mighty, it is mighty. So do not harm people, because that sin will not, will not be left. And sometimes you can come with, with good, good deeds, which are like mountains, and you will end up being a bankrupt person. The muflis, we've all heard of the muflis, and the hadith of the muflisin. Those people will come, and they will be bankrupt on Yawmul Qiyamah. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu explains, إِنَّ الْمُفْلِسِ مِنْ أُمَّتِي يَأْتِي يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ بِصَلَاةٍ وَزَكَاةٍ وَسِيَامٍ وَزَكَاةٍ Indeed, the Muflis, who is the Muflis? He will come, this is a person. He will come on the Day of Judgment. He will have prayer with him. He will bring prayer with him, meaning he's prayed in abundance. He will bring fasting with him. He will bring... Zakat with him, giving of zakat. وَيَأْتِي قَدْ شَتَمَ هَذَا He will come 
And he's reviled, he used to revile this one. And he falsely accused, he made qadhaf upon such and such a person. He falsely consumed the wealth of that one. Meaning he cheated people out of their wealth. He consumed their wealth unlawfully. And he spilled the blood of that one. And he beat that one or he struck that one. So then each of these people uh, that he he wronged, they will start taking from his good deeds. This one will take from his good deeds. That one will take from his good deeds. And فَإِنْ فَنِيَتْ حَسَنَاتُهُ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُقْضَى مَا عَلَيْهُ أُخِذَ مِنْ خَطَايَاهُمْ فَطُرِحَتْ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ طُرِحَ فِي النَّارِ And if his good deeds run out because of all of the oppression that he's been committing, then what will happen is those people will be allowed to throw their sins onto him. So they can now remove their sins from themselves in order to make up for the justice that is due to them then those sins will be piled upon that person. And then eventually he will be thrown into the hellfire. So see in this hadith, what does it say? It says that a man will come and he will, he will come with tremendous amount of righteous deeds, but he was a valim. He was a valim. It's like a parable in the life of this world. You might see a man who appears to be rich, Appears to be affluent, he's made a tremendous amount of money. But how did he make his money? He cheated that one, and he cheated that one, and he embezzled that one, and he embezzled this one. And so justice catches up with him, right? The authorities catch up with him, right? They grab hold of him, they imprison him. And then what happens? They take all of his assets. They take his wealth, they freeze his bank accounts, they take his assets. Everything that he had, it's all gone now. And not only that, he's thrown in prison. So whatever he took, whatever he had, Zero, nothing. And he's landed in prison as well on top of that. Right? So this is, this is, this is like for like. A person who comes on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, except that now the currency is good deeds. It's good deeds. And dhulm is the oppression which is going to leave him bankrupt. Right? So this is the parable that we have been given in the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam warning us from this dhulm which is which is tremendous, and the Sheikh then goes on to say that um, that dhulm is something that Allah has freed Himself from. Allah does not commit dhulm, and He's made it unlawful upon Himself, and He's made it unlawful upon other people. However, there's one issue that we we'll, that we will finish with, inshallah Taala, which is that. Is Allah Azza wa Jal capable of committing oppression against his servants? But because of his justice and perfection, he does not wrong his servants. Or is it that Allah is incapable of oppressing his servants? Which of the two is it? Which of the two is it? Anyone for first? Anyone for first? Oh, sorry, anyone for second? Okay, you're all correct. It's the first. Because then it wouldn't be, it's not something praiseworthy. If you cannot commit oppression to begin with, if you are unable to commit oppression, 
So say for, for example, there's a person who is maybe, let's say the way Allah created him, he's unable to see, he's unable to hear, uh, he's unable, he's incapacitated, right? And you say, mashallah, this, this guy, this guy does not oppress people. So if we had a person, for example, who was unable to commit dhulm, he couldn't wrong anybody, right? He's he has no eyesight, he cannot hear, he's, you know, how can he wrong anybody? How can he oppress anybody? So to say about such a person, mashallah, this person is very just, he's never wronged anybody. This wouldn't really be a praise, because the person is incapable of oppressing someone. There wouldn't be a praise. And so what is correct is, that which is correct, is if Allah wanted to wrong people, he could. But he is Al-Adal. He is the most just. And he has made injustice haram upon himself. He will not wrong a person even, uh, you know, as we see in the Quran, even an atom's weight. Indeed, Allah he says, Indeed, Allah does not wrong even an atom's weight. Even an atom's weight, he will not wrong anybody. And if there was a single good deed, he will multiply it and bring forth a great reward for it. So in other words, Allah he won't, he won't, uh, he won't um, oppress anyone or wrong anyone, even to the amount of an atom's weight. But on the other hand, when it comes to good deeds and rewarding good deeds, then any small insignificant deed, he will take it and multiply it manifold and give someone a great reward on account of it. So on the one hand, he does no oppression. On the other hand, look at how he rewards a believer tremendously for something which is very, very small. And this is because Allah, if he, if he wanted to, he could wrong people. But he has declared himself free and innocent of that. And this is from the perfection of Allah Azawajal. And this is a praise for Allah Azawajal. So this is a point that arises because some people in the past, 
again from the people who use reason and rationale, they've decided that you know they can decide what Allah should and should not be by way of their reason. And they said it is impossible for Allah to commit dhul. He cannot do it. In principle, he can't commit dhul. Right? And then they are just using their reason, using their reason to assert this, this incorrect belief. Rather, what we see in the Quran, what we see in the Sunnah, is that Allah has made unlawful upon himself. If he wanted it to, do it to do it, he could. But he declared it unlawful upon himself. And he declared it unlawful upon his servants. So therefore, he does not wrong anybody. Because he is Al-Adl, he is the just, and so on and so forth. So this brings us now to the end of our discussion of the first part in this hadith, which is the issue of al-zulm and um, the statement of Allah Zawajal, Ya ibadi inni harramtu dhulma ala nafsi wa ja'altuhu baynakum muharrama fala tadhalamu. O my servants, indeed I've made zulm unlawful upon myself and I've made it unlawful between you, so do not wrong each other. This now leads us to the second statement, second of the ten statements. Ya ibadi, kullukum dal, illa man fastahduni ahdikum. O my servants, all of you are misguided, except the one whom I guide. So seek guidance from me, ask me for guidance, and I shall guide you. And insha'Allah ta'ala, we will continue with this part of the hadith in our next lesson. And with that, we'll conclude today's lesson at this point. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين